Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Board Game Mechanics. I'm Katie and with me as always is... Hey guys, what's going on? It is Jason. I've become incredibly self-conscious about how I start the podcast now. <laughs> You're doing a great job. Every time great I'm job. like, did I say something normal? Is that weird? Is that how I usually say it? Should I try it? Should I mix it up? Should I do something different? I don't know. Nope, just keep doing what you're doing. Like, I feel like if I say, hey, everybody, that sounds like Rado, so I don't want to do that. That's like trademarked or something. And I've already been told that, hey, 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 is not acceptable either. I mean, that was just for me. So you usually don't listen to what I say anyway, so I don't know why you're so, like, worked up about it. I was told if I say, hey, 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 it has to be like Fat Halbert. Hey, hey, hey. But I'm not real good. Uh, Does it, though? (laughs) That's why I haven't been using it, because my Fat Albert impression is not very good. Yeah, let's just stick to what we know I don't works. know what works let's anymore. Do I don't know what I usually say, because just like every other board game podcast, I don't listen to us. <laughs> so I don't know what I say. <laughs> just don't think about it and just do it and it'll come out right. And if not, I'll let you know. Obviously. Obviously. I don't know. If anyone can think of a better, like, sign on, let me know, because I clearly uh, don't have any clue what I'm doing. <laughs> just like everything else. Yeah, I mean, that's what our podcast is. It's fine. Yeah, we're just pretty okay. So every time we'll be like, hmm, is this an okay intro? Yeah, okay. Hmm, seems like a good intro. I think it was like almost 60 degrees here in Ohio today. And I have like spring fever. Is that the fever that makes you want to go outside? <laughs> well, I know you'll never have that fever. No, I like when yeah. I open all the windows and... Oh, we could have done that earlier. Foot through the grass and... um grill outside and i'm fine with opening the windows because i can stay inside for that the rest of them i'm out yeah i do i can count on you babe i do what i can (laughs) i just trying to keep it real but one good thing about spring is i feel like the kickstarters are starting to pick up in quality kind of a winter lull there and with like the con season kind of like hanging in the balance I, I feel like kickstarter was getting rough but now i have so many kickstarters and i want to give a special shout out to fan zero mike who is keeping an eye out for some other kickstarters as well because i <laughs> we all know that i have a specific type and i'm like ooh, is that pretty let's talk about that Instead of maybe something that's, you know, about space or some other kind of hideous theme that is probably a good game, but I'm not going to look at it twice because it's space. Mike is like the Pete Best of our podcast. (laughs) But like they, like Pete Best, like up and left. It's not a great analogy. I was just like, I was just trying to tie one in there. That I thought would work, but you had to go and ruin it. No, it it wouldn't work if anyone knew anything about the Beatles. I mean, saying that he's the Pete Best of our podcast is like saying he's like the um, Dave Mustaine of our podcast. Like, no. All right, let me, I'll try to think of a, another one okay. while you're talking. 30 minutes later, Jason's like, oh, I know what it is. My podcast. <laughs> That's what I do. It, it takes me a while to come up with the zingers and the analogy. <laughs> podcast over, babe. Sorry. So, in news, um, one game that I found that I was immediately intrigued by purely because of the theme i know that's shocking um but it is called finding anastasia um and it's by a guy who does i guess a board game review show again i've never heard of him his name's sean howard or shane i'm not sure it's that ambiguous spelling um 
but again, I, uh, you know, I don't watch board game reviews or anything like that because, you know, I'm real good at this. But this game, which I love Anastasia, like that Don Bluth movie is the best if you haven't seen it, by the by. Um, but this is kind of a play on, you know, the actual historical story about the Empress Anastasia. And it's a social deduction game. So at the beginning, you... Um, get this really cool like invitation to this ball because um, you know Anastasia's grandmother who's the empress is inviting all of us hoping to find out who Anastasia is and reunite her with her family and oh I love that story so you get like this guest invite envelope kind of reminds me of Secret Hitler that has your secret role and it has three clues the person who is Anastasia has three the three real clues everybody else gets one real clue um, so that you know oh you're not Anastasia and then the other ones are like, they'll say like, no clue. Um, so then you go around and like, so it, it's your secret identity and you go around and, and you each have an actual identity. It's just not like, oh, one person's Anastasia and everyone's not Anastasia. You're different kinds of characters and each character has like a different win condition. So um, one of the win conditions can be like, figure out who Anastasia is. Um, and you can get points for doing other things like, for asking an additional question or um, revealing another player's role card. or There's other different ways to win the game besides just outing Anastasia. And you're going around and you're asking these questions of other players, like to try and figure out Anastasia, who Anastasia is, and having like these public clues that are tracked on this really cool looking board because you want to find like the story of what happened to Anastasia, um, where she's been, and then... Um, like some traits about her or like some trinkets that she still has from her life, um, her former life as Anastasia, like the princess. I, I don't quite know all the gameplay, but it looks so cool. The art is like this really neat kind of um, like minimalist with a little bit of like a, an art deco to some of the stylings. And there's like this really nice kind of watercolor aspect as far as where actual color is gone which i think is really awesome there's a and if you get the deluxe edition there are these really cool shaped meeples so each character has like their own like set of like little meeples that like represent who they are that they used to put out on the board when clues are being asked which i think is amazing um i like social deduction this is for i think one to eight yes one to eight players and it says it takes about 10 minutes per player. So if you get the full player count, you're going to be kind of playing this a while, but it, it has some of these extra elements then that allow you to move beyond the just, okay, you're Hitler and you're not, or, you know, you're a werewolf and you're not, um, because there's different things you can do in order to try and get your own win condition if you aren't Anastasia. So I think, I just think it looks really cool. Um, so there are nine days left on this Kickstarter. Um, the basic game is 29 bucks, which I think is is pretty reasonable. But why would you want the basic one when for only $10 more, you can get the deluxe version. So you get these like really pretty gems. You get those shaped meeples, which are like dancing shoes and uh, I think little purses, um, little crowns, little, I don't know, is that a mirror maybe? They're real cool. Um, and the gems are actually part of an enchanted gems 
expansion that you also get when you get that deluxe edition. So check that out. It is Finding Anastasia. Nine days left, 29 bucks for the base, 39 for the deluxe. Yeah, I we talked about this before, and I'm really intrigued by this because you can play it at one player. Yeah. I, I'm confused on that because if I was playing Secret Hitler by myself, I would know who Hitler is. I, I know, and so I don't know what you're doing differently. I, I don't know what the solo variant is like on it, but... I I I do like social deduction. I know not everyone does, but I think this looks like it's got some extra elements that not all social deduction games do. So I'd love to back this one. Yeah, the twenty nine dollars sounds oh, good. Oh come on, ten dollars more. Ten dollars. I'll ponder it. Yeah, with that means no. Okay, um, another game that is sort of social deduction ish, not really, is a game called Dawn. Build a village or build your fortune, and so Dawn is. It's a primarily a card playing game. So you have your group of villagers and you get a hand of cards and the cards have resources or they have ways that you can fight off invaders, um, you know, different kinds of things that you can use to help you um, start establish this village, which is what you're trying to do. This is like Dawn of Civilization. I guess that's why they have the name Dawn. I don't know why they named it that. I guess it's part of a series, but eh. Um, So there are cards out that are buildings that you are trying to build in the city. Um, Also, sometimes threats will come up. And so everyone is secretly playing cards from their hand in each round to either add towards the buildings and help fight off um, the threats. Or they're trying to like bank cards that are actually going to um, be used as treasure. And if you keep too much of the treasure, um, you are kind of basically turning your back on the town and you're just hoarding money for yourself. And so instead of it being a cooperative win, you then are kind of turning your back on the rest of your allies in the town and going off your own to try to win by yourself. Um, And so I forget, after so many hands, then... The cards will be revealed. You can see if the buildings were actually able to be built, if the threats were, you know, taken care of. If they were, then the town, you know, gets the win. If not, then you're going to see, you know, you're seeing how much treasure everyone hoarded. You're going to see if the scoundrel that hoarded the most treasure wins, all those kind of fun things and there's like different action cards that allow you to like peek at cards you can help heal some wounds maybe um move cards around so it looks like it's a very simple like just card playing game like kind of um like secret movement hand management kind of thing um but with a little bit of that social deduction element um i mean the art is kind of cool on this I don't know that I particularly want to play this game because I don't like it when people like get mean. Like I want us to work together. Um, and I would get really mad if someone was like, ha ha, screw you guys. I'm going to hoard all the treasure. Um, especially if that person wasn't me and then they won. So <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I think it's a cool premise. I don't know if I'd like it. But if that interests you and you're okay with that kind of backstabby type of thing, um, there are 10 days left on that Kickstarter. And the basic pledge is 20 bucks to get the game. So that's pretty reasonable. Two to five players plays in 40 minutes. That is really cheap for this game. Yeah, I'm impressed by that price. I like it's it. It's just cards and some tiles, but the artwork looks good. 
Yeah, but we looked at that one last week that was some cards and some tiles, and it was yes. $75. Yeah, Saros or whatever. <laughs> yeah. That's true. That's true. Um, My last two, I, they, they don't need me. And I guess I don't pull Kickstarter news because I think, oh, let's help these projects. I pull Kickstarter news because, ooh, I think that looks cool, and I might want to back it. I mean, I never will because Jason won't ever spend the money. But I like the idea of possibly backing it and that, it looks like a fun game that maybe other people would want to back. Um, I also try to pull Kickstarter news of stuff that I think is pretty like happening and relevant in the industry because I don't, you know, I want people to know about it. Like maybe you don't, you don't have time to browse Kickstarter. So like, Hey, if you like these games, here's some big new stuff. I don't think that I'm like giving them a bump in sales or anything, but these last two don't need any encouragement from me at all because they're like way funded and they're from really popular game lines. But I would be remiss if I didn't mention them. The first one is Root the Marauder expansion. And so Root's got some new animals in there, rats and badges, um, which is cool. Like I like games with cute little animals, um, especially the way that Root does the cute little like meeples of said animals they're adorable um in the expansion like you've got these two new factions you've got new types of gameplay they've got these um like river folk that you can hire to kind of join up with you um, which i think is kind of cool they give you more options there's like a landmarks kind of thing that you can do to add to your maps um so if you're interested in root you really liked that um it is uh, there are 11 days left on the kickstarter for that expansion and it's $80. Just $80? Yeah. For one expansion? Yeah, there's a lot of stuff in there. Like, that's not the only pledge. Like, you could pledge more. Oh, no, it's no, it's that's $50. It's $50. My bad. Okay. That, I mean, that's still crazy, but that's way better than $80. It's $80 value for $50. For uh, okay, $80, right. you can is you can get um more hirelings, and you can get some mole people, and, and you can, you know, get, get a few more people. They got like a lot. And then there's even another level with another expansion, Clockwork Expansion 2, with some more automated factions and trait cards and all kinds of stuff like that. I mean, it does seem like there's a lot in for for that 50 bucks. Um, And if you like Root, like, that seems cool. You get Keepers in Iron and Lord of the Hundreds, which are the the Badgers. Yeah, I mean, people love Root. That's just a lot for an expansion. Well, I mean, yes. But if people, if you love it, you love it. So 50 bucks for that. My bad. 11 days left on that. Um, And the other one that is super popular is Tiny Epic Dungeons. Of course, it's the next one in the dungeon series. This is a fully cooperative dungeon crawler for one to four people. Um, it, It comes with little minis too, which I think is really interesting. Like even the base pledge, you get eight minis. Hero minis. Yeah, I don't know how they get all that in that box. Uh, I'm puzzled by that. I mean, I'm kind of proud of that. My issue is I have never played a tiny epic game. Not one. And I hear... I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure you played space with me. I am positive I have not played space. I don't remember anything about... How could I... And why would space or, be the one I would play? Or it, well, tiny epic galaxies. I'm pretty sure we played that. You might have, but I don't believe I did. You were at least in the vicinity. <laughs> Well, there are many things that happen where I am in the area, but not really actually thought, playing the game. I really thought you did play that, though. 
Now I'm like Googling. I'm going to look at pictures of it. Like I recognize the box, but I don't, I don't remember the gameplay at all. I don't. That's the only one I've played of all of them. I feel like I might like it them. Because I really love like little box games, especially if they're like good. And everyone seems to think that the, all these games are good. Yeah, there's a Western one that looks cool that I think looks interesting. What's the one where every is it like pirates where everyone holds like their weapons or something? Or that's a uh, quest, I think. It's got the little oh, yeah. meeple. Yeah, I forget what they're called. Item meeples or something like that. Yeah, I don't know. But this one is is the little dungeon crawl, and it's cooperative. There's a boss, and you know. The huge that you get from a dungeon crawler, but it's quick and it's little, which I think is really cool with little miniatures. So if you love Tiny Epic anything, or if you don't know anything about Tiny Epic, but you like dungeon crawls and you'd like one that's like really kind of accessible, this looks like it'd be a pretty good one. So there are 11 days left on that Kickstarter and it's only 25 bucks, which is incredibly reasonable in my opinion, even in Jason's opinion. Oh yeah, I $25 for everything that comes in this game is a good deal. And they have like an almost 100% perfect track record, so you can't really go wrong with the the tiny epic games. Yeah. I was going to talk about one more game and it was Caper Europe from Keymaster. But here's my hot take of the episode. After further digging into this because I love Caper. Um, it was one that we saw at Origins a couple years ago, the first year it came out. I was, I sat, we sat down and played a demo. I was like, Jason, we got to buy this game. It's so cool. It's real fun. This awesome two player drafting. I love it. Um, the art is freaking awesome. So good. So then I'm like, oh, they're making another one. Yeah. And I'm like looking at it and they're like, well, they're telling me there's more stuff happening. It looks like they're promising this whole nother game. Gosh, we really got to get it. Well. Come to find out, it basically is the first one with a new city, Barcelona, which is great. I have nothing against Barcelona. However, why, 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 Keymaster, would you brand this as if it's a completely new game? And they have. They have. Not even. Yeah. And not even saying it's an expansion, even. Not even saying it's a second edition, which I think is the best thing they could have done, but acting like it's a completely new game and people are pledging it, pledging for it. And I've, I was looking at some of the comments today on the Kickstarter pledge and like, oh yeah, you know, I loved the game, the first game, you know, I can't wait to see what's in this. And I'm like, it's the same game. All they added was Barcelona. Yeah, this was a misstep. Keymaster is usually on point and kills it, but this was definitely uh, a missed opportunity here. I think. Yes, I I normally really, really, I really do love Keymaster. They've made some amazing, beautiful, really fun, excellent games. Why? Like all they had to do was say, "Hey, um, this is second edition. It's gonna have Barcelona in it." I think maybe they like streamlined a few things or upgraded some components or something. Cool, great. Offer um, a components upgrade or whatever. That's fine. Don't try to act like this is a whole new game, Caper Europe, when Caper was already in Europe. You just finally made it over to Spain. Yeah. Uh, it's Yeah, I, I did read that the other one is out of print. So while that you can't get that one, Which is fine. This is still then just not say, a new hey, game. this is the second edition. Since the other one's out of print, we've updated it. If you didn't get the first edition, here's the next one. It's not that hard. Board games do it all the time. Yeah, I, I, 
I understand. I'm not defending them. I just wanted to say that it is out of print, so it's not like they have Caper and Caper Europe running at the same time. At least there is that. I Yes, that is true. That is true. I'm going to dial back my rage a little bit, but I just... I just don't understand. Like that that seems like common sense maybe. And and normally I try to give, you know, benefit of doubt, but this I I don't see any way around it. Like why would you do that? Cuz as soon as and I, I follow Keymaster, I get their emails, I watch their I follow their Facebook page. Like I'm all up in their business because I really love their stuff. Um and then to have this kind of like you know, flaming bag of poop left on my doorstep? Come on, Keymaster. Come on. Ted's going to put it out with his boot, and it's going to be stinky. <laughs> Why? All right, that's enough rambling about the news. We went on a news tangent almost as long as the board game rundown, except I did it without news, boys. Nope. There you did it. Uh. Fail. <laughs> All right, so we have some games. We played some games. <laughs> we and, did play some games. Uh, not always, not all of it is old and busted games this week. That's We're trying all, something new. Some of them are really old and busted, though. <laughs> That's true. One of them is old and busted, but the other ones are, you know, sort of new hotness. Maybe not new hotness, but like medium hotness. I mean, we obviously didn't don't own them ourselves. Well, I mean, let's not get crazy. The first one we do, though. Because it's unbusted. <laughs> so, the first game we're going to talk about is a classic game. I don't know what year it is. Like the 80s, I think. I'm not 100% sure. 70s. I did a video for it. So. I still have no idea. Um, it is called The Inventors. And it's from Parker Brothers. Old. 70s, 80s. Somewhere around there. Um, this is a roll and move game where you're taking on the role of a different inventor. And you're trying to invent different items and then get them patented to try to take them on the royalty track to score a pile of money or earn a pile of money, I guess. But the interesting thing here is when you get your claim, your invention patented, it may not increase the value. So there's this little machine that you're going to be sliding the invention into. It's going to give you this metal clip. The metal clip's going to have a zero or one or a two on the back of it. And depending on what the number is, is how much more valuable that invention is going to be. So zero, not going to enhance your value. A one is a little bit, a two is the most. So you're trying to, you know, get a patent, but also try to get a good patent. So it's random. You never know what's going to happen. And then when you jump in the royalty track, other people can jump in and be a silent partner. They're going to take half of your money for nothing, just for having a card. Um, If you land on someone's invention, you got to pay them money as like a penalty or a royalty or a lawsuit or something i don't know it's just it's crazy it's a roll and move game but it's really fun it's got this cool like dice tower thing too where you push the button the dice come out and it rings a bell it's really neat so yeah it did not disappoint i I love the classic games and this one is no exception so what did you think about the inventors uh for a game from 1974 Ooh, 74 (laughs) yeah it it wasn't bad like um like yes, the the dice thing machine and the putting the patent on the actual invention is totally gimmicky, um, but still you know kind of fun. And I feel like like I honestly feel like there's some strategy to this. Like I couldn't get a patent to save my life, but I had like I don't know six inventions just waiting. And I'm like ah, I don't want to jump the invention track. I don't know, but I did. And like banked once we played the invention track correctly. 
or the um oh the royalty, royalty track. track yeah right, yeah right. yeah once we got that sorted out um but then i was like oh i should still get patents and i think I think maybe that's not necessarily the way to go. Yeah. And also, I really feel like trading your cards and like you get these cards that allow for special actions, um, trading those in to be able to get like a silent partner um, to make money as well as, you know, off somebody else while you're making your own, I think is really key. And I, I don't like I needed to trade this out more, except that takes a whole turn. And that's kind of annoying. Yeah, that's a terrible turn. It really is. <laughs> but, but I mean, it was still fun. Um, I, I wouldn't like pull it out as much as like Gambler or um, why can't I remember the name of the other one? Go for broke. Go for broke. Um, or even Homestretch. Um, as far as like simple role mode type games go, but it still is fun and definitely worth the play. And I know um, there are several people that we've talked about this game with, and they're like, "Oh yeah, I had that when I was a kid." So the nostalgia factor, I think, is definitely there for a lot of people. It was. I did not have this as a kid, actually, despite the many games that I had. This was not one of them, but it still it was pretty good. Yeah, I do think you can play this whole game without ever getting a patent, but the issue is the game will never end because that's the timer. So oh, right. if you never went and got a patent, you'd be playing this game all day, <laughs> which is probably not the best idea. But I think I would probably pull this out before Go For Broke because it has a little more strategy to me. Hmm. But I do like Gambler better because Gambler's simpler and sillier. But I did really like this one. Yeah, not bad. All right, so next, next, new hotness. And by <laughs> new hotness, I mean like delivered from Kickstarter like a month or a two ago. ago. Yeah. Yeah. And this is a game called Canvas. I'm not even sure who the publisher is. Some company, <laughs> some person designed it. You sound like me. <laughs> I know. I should have looked it up. I thought I knew, but then I was reading it and I had no idea. Um, so this is a game where you're trying to draft these cards, kind of Century Spice Road style, where there's a, a pool of like five cards, a line of five cards. And if you take the first card, it doesn't cost you anything. But every card you take after that first one, you got to put like a little token on it as like a payment. So you could take a less a card you don't really want for free. Or you may get the card that you need for a couple little pieces, uh, you know, a couple tokens. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to get three of these cards that are clear with just like a little piece of art on it and a, a, a name. And you're trying to make a painting by scoring these symbols and colors at the bottom that are going to meet some in-game goals that are on the player board or the um, central board, which I think there are four. And the whole point of the game is you're trying to build three of these paintings and score the most points possible. It's a really simple game. On your turn, you're either drafting a card from the row or you're making a painting. That's it. And then once everybody has three paintings, the game is over. So if you can play Century Spice Road or if you play simple games like that, this game will feel familiar. But it also looks really nice as well because those cards look amazing when you put them in the sleeve and make the painting. And it's just really nice production. So... I liked it. Not my favorite game in the world. Not something I feel like I need to own. But it was fun to play. So what did you think about Canvas? Um, it was really pretty. And I, I love that about it. Um, I like the idea of like matching up things to try to try and meet like certain goals. Like I tend to like games like that. Like Santa Monica has a little bit of that element. Um, and, you know, other games of that ilk. However, this game is a little bit gimmicky. Because of those clear sleeves and the layering. And I have a problem. (laughs) 
games like this, and I've mentioned this, there are other games where I happen to do this. I get distracted um, by the actual pieces of the game and don't actually play the game. So, I mean, yes, I was taking my turn, but I was more worried about, you know, getting everything like to work together. I only wanted to draft um, the cards that were like in the same color scheme as the other ones that would make this really cohesive, beautiful painting. And like, I couldn't be arsed about the actual like point system <laughs> and what the goals were because I was too busy like layering them just right to make them look nice and make like this really cool named painting. Um, also, the little palette tokens that you use as currency I just kept collecting them because they were so cute and they felt really good in my hand like I love that tactileness of it um yeah but it's a closed <laughs> economy so no one else could get any tokens yeah I, you had like four, 14 of them and we all had one I did spend them eventually because the pretty color piece or the interesting artwork piece I needed was all the way at the end a couple times so they got back out there okay yeah by the time I was done with all my paintings well then you should have painted so haphazardly, which you did. That's the other thing. But it, I still won, huh? Huh? But I didn't lose is the other crazy thing. You didn't win, so you did lose. <sighs> okay, Ricky Bobby. So I was kind <laughs> of like off doing my own thing, but I can't be satisfied with that. Like, this is how much of a freak show I am. I'm like seeing other people like craft these paintings together because they're trying to do these stupid end goals, you know, how you win the game. And I'm like, what is that hideous piece of crap you're making right there? That looks awful. Why would you lay those together? That makes no sense. Like, that's like two different types of artistic styles. Like, it just made me a little nutso. Like, I could not handle it. And that is the reason why I will never own this game. Because I'm like, let's just all make, you know, pretty paintings. And like, how dare you make horrible paintings that don't even go together? Like, I just... Yeah, we'll just have to play Century because no one's accused that of looking good. I, I don't mind that one. It's okay. But yeah, I don't have the same problem. <laughs> yeah. I don't have the same problem with Century. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, Canvas is fine, though. Like, yeah. It's a super light game. You can play it with anybody, pretty much. Like, here's the rules. Here's what you do. Go at it. And yeah, it's, it's a, a good entry level game to get you into some other yeah, ones. Yeah, light, think. pretty. But yeah, I can't play it. All right. So, game number three, this is the heaviest one that we've played in a while, actually, probably. Yeah. And it has a name that I'm going to butcher, but I'm going to try to say it anyway. Praga Kaput Regni. That sounds good. That's how I would say it. Uh, all right. Everybody calls it Praga. Praga is the biggest word in the box, so I'm going to call it Praga from here on out, but I wanted to just say the complete title. And this is from Delicious Games. I do know this one. Ooh, Delicious. And the designer is Vladimir Suchi, who has done Prodigal's Club, Underwater Cities, Last Will. He's He's got a good you know track record. Yeah, I like those games. So. so what this game is, it's a an action selection game, which you're going to be taking these actions off of Rondell. This is going to be a really super high-level explanation because there's kind of a lot going on. Jason's blamed. <laughs> so you're taking these actions off this Rondell that are going to let you build buildings to... Try to enclose a market and score some points. Get some of these special colored chips that are going to tie into another section. You can build a wall around your little player area, which is going to try to... It's going to move you up on some track and possibly give you some other tokens and maybe some points. You're going to be able to upgrade your actions with these buildings to make your actions better. And 
you're going to be able to move along this road, the King's Road, and trade in eggs for some reason. I do know the reason, because Chris explained it. <laughs> you mix the egg with the the stuff to make the concrete, to make the concrete it, harder. No, it's it's mortar. It's used as mortar between the bricks. Whatever. Concrete, cement, mortar, whatever. Way to butcher the theme. I thought that was like the best thing that I knew. <laughs> You're cashing in these eggs to be able to get different actions to increase your production of of stone and gold to try to be able to have money to be able to do the building actions or other things. You're trying to build this bridge. I don't know why. You're trying the to... The St. Charles um, Bridge. Yeah, okay. You're trying to move up on King these Charles. happiness and anger tracks. What? There's no happiness blue and red. I don't, I, don't, I don't know what they mean. They're blue and red. The blue and red steps. No, once You're a, trying to walk up these steps arbitrarily. One's a cathedral and one's the hunger wall. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and then uh, whoever has the most points is the winner. So that that's effectively the game. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> like, if, so, if Praga's theme was an animal, Jason ran it down on the road and then was not satisfied and backed up over it again. <laughs> And then got out and kicked it for good measure. Yeah, so I think I like this game. I'm not 100% sure. (laughs) Um, I I didn't do terribly. I started off pretty bad, but then I I course corrected about halfway through. Uh, it's really tight. So yeah. people have said that Rogers of the Ganges is a really tight game. Ooh, that looks like a, a an open world compared yes. to this thing. You're getting like 16 turns in this game with a possible you know few bonus turns that you can take, and you have to do a lot of stuff in these turns. And you, money's tight, a stone is tight. Um, the actions you can do are tight. People are going to take what you want. You're not going to have resources to do other things that you want. You can't get eggs. Everything is just tough. It's super tight. Probably one of the tightest games that I've played from a resource and action perspective. But I liked it. At the end, I guess I did like it a little bit. Because <laughs> you won. I wanted, no, yeah, you didn't, I didn't win. win. I got last place. I, I wanted to. I wanted to like this game so much more than I did, though. Because I, I was super pumped to play it. And then I was just... That first half of the game really kind of deflated me. But I think I need to play it again. I'd like to play it again, and maybe I won't suck as bad. I think you'll like it better on a second play, because I, I I feel like maybe you had a lot of expectations about how the gameplay was, and you didn't know what it actually was, or something. I felt- yeah, I think that I, I think that's right. That's probably right. Um, yeah, this is really great. And actually, the theme behind it is really cool, because you're developing this whole city. Um, it's King Charles. And I already explained the theme, okay? <laughs> Um, but the, the action choice is how you choose your actions with this rondelle that moves around. And it has, um, like the the way they use cubes to like remind you of things when you can move up on tracks, when you need to advance, um, the round marker and stuff is really neat. Um, actually the way that you turn and choose your actions has almost like a Zulkin feel, which I think is really cool. Um, I like that. It is really tight. And the thing about it is you can't do everything, which is actually kind of what I loved because I was like, okay, I can't get eggs, um, which is what you need to kind of go along the King's the king's Walk, the King's Road. So I'm like, okay, screw the King's Road. I'm not going to go on it. I'm going to do something different. And I played this game in a way that I mostly never play games. 
my favorite thing is to like stack up on in-game points and like hang out in the back of the point track um, until the end where like I pull a couple cards and I score 50 points and then just like whoop your butt like so that you're crying to your mommy. Yeah, that's the same strategy that I do. I get no points during the game and I also get no points <laughs> at the end of the game. Uh, that's not the same. That's not the same. That's, that's, that's half my strategy um, plus another losing strategy. Um, so this time I played it where I just was grabbing as many points as I could because I thought I don't think I can get in-game points because I don't know how to make those happen. And even when I thought I knew how to make those happen, I still did it wrong. Um, but there's a lot of like neat things about this. The production um, is good. I, I don't know that I love the artwork in it. But it does have a lot of like neat tiles that you're moving around. The eggs are actual eggs, which is cool. Um, the there's these little stands, like these steps where you're moving up the hunger wall and you're moving up the cathedral track. And the cool thing, like since I really care about theme, <laughs> that a lot of the book, the rule book I have heard, has a lot of explanations of how all these things are really part of what was happening um, in this area in Russia um, that actually took place, that this guy may have been an actual really benevolent ruler. Um, some of the structures and things that he took part in, including university that he helped found, still also um, running to the state. It's not Russia. It's, oh, I can't remember the country this is set in. Come on, brain. I thought it was Russia. Uh, I thought so, too. I have it pulled up. I'll look. You just keep talking. Um... Prague. It's Prague. It's Russia adjacent. <laughs> okay, so not only do we just offend Canadians, now we're also going to offend Russians. <laughs> That's what we do. That's what I do. <laughs> Clearly. I, I am not, I'm not, no way co-signing that paycheck about Prague. It's in, okay. So anyway, it takes place um, in Prague, which I guess at the time was probably part of the Russian empire but whatever it's i think i would actually i would like to own this and play this more because i think that there i'd like to see it play it too because it seemed kind of long at four but also because it's so tight that each time you take your turn you're like oh crap they took my action or the dial has moved something somewhere else or that thing is no longer available like what am i going to do and what's what's the best choice of the choices that i do have um but yeah, it, it was tight, um, very uh, challenging, and I, and I really love that about it. So yeah, I thought Prague was good. Yeah, we'll have to play it again for sure. And I lost I'd... by three points with my n- abnormal strategy, so I felt pretty good about that. Yeah, even playing terrible, I think I only lost by like 15 or so, so that's not bad. Yeah. All right, so those are some good games we played. Um, well, we think they're good. I guess we don't know what you guys think, but... I like these games that we played. I had fun playing them. So, yeah, we'll just end it at that, and we'll move on into the feature. So our feature for this episode is something that I've been kind of kicking around. Because when we talk about games, I say, oh, this game has this mechanic. I love that. Or, oh, this game board has this thing. Or this designer does this type of style or does this type of action thing. And I love that. And so I want to kind of play around with some of our favorite mechanics, some of our favorite things about games. And so this episode is, if, if I were to design a game, if Jason were to design a game, and we could put in like our five favorite things about board games. 
So we have, I don't know, a collection of board games that is almost to 400 games, I'd say. Yeah, give or take, yeah. Roughly on 400. So of all the games that we have played, and we've played more, I guess, than the ones we own, um, what kinds of things would we want to take from those games and put into a game if we made it ourselves? Um, And so by that, I don't mean like, oh, this IP or, you know, this, but kind of broader, general um, things that we love about games. If we see a game that has, you know, one of these, like, ooh, I'm automatically intrigued by that. Um, so that's kind of where we are going with this. So do you want to start, babe, or do you want me to start? Yeah, I can start. Okay. So this should come to no surprise to anybody. But if I was going to design a game, I would put in so many tracks that you would have to have a track to keep track of all the tracks <laughs> that are on this board. There would be so many tracks. I, I love games with tracks. I love moving up on tracks. I love keeping track of tracks. That's a whole lot of track that I've talked about. Trackity track, track, track. Yeah, I just I just love moving things around on the board, moving up those tracks. Just It, it just feels good to me. So that's why I like Tapestry, because it's nothing but tracks. That's the type of game that I would do. Just a game of tracks and moving things around, because I love it. So tracks, tracks, tracks. That's my first one. Now, do you like tracks that just like are like point values or tracks that as you move, you um, get bonuses or tracks that as you move up, you unlock new abilities or powers or things? I mean, it doesn't matter. It could be a track like the Emperor in Grand Austria where I just have to be higher than him or he, he punches me in the face. It just I just want to move up on a track. It can give me a special power. It can give me points. I don't care. I just like moving up on the track. Okay. Um, the first mechanic that I really like, and I'm, I know I mention it more than once, is engine building. And engine building slash like card synergy, because um, whenever I play a game that has cards that can be um, like, oh, if you have this type of thing, then you can do this. I love to build an engine of like resources or whatever it takes to kind of fuel that, whatever that is. Um, gosh, and this is why I love a lot of deck builders because they are built around the idea of, of a card synergy, which almost like creates an engine. Um, we were just talking with our friends about the ICP deck builder game where you can kind of have this engine of, okay, these cards are going to feed me, um, more karma so I can buy better cards or these cards are going to feed me flavor cards, which will in turn let me get more karma or roll the wheel of fate, which will like kind of bring that cycle over again. I pull more cards in my deck. Um, I like... I'm trying to think of other game. Uh, Terraforming Mars. Like, not everyone plays that as an engine builder because sometimes your cards don't, like, align or maybe you're just going after different types of things. I love when I can get one card that's going to give me one type of resource that then I have another card that allows me to bank certain things on that card and then I can kind of interchange that and move them around. Oh, I, I just really love a good, beautifully well-run engine that just feeds itself so that like your turns are epic like you're never short for resources or if you're short for a certain type it's okay because your engine's going to compensate for that by mutating it into what you need oh it's like that's sexy like i'm really excited about that like i love a good engine good card synergy to make that thing happen so that's what i would totally love in a dream game yeah, I don't mind engine building. I just, it's no tracks, that's for sure. 
What are, I was trying to think of other engine building games that I really love, and none of them came to mind, of course. You, you use Coimbra as an engine builder. Kind yes. Of. See, now, most people will not play... See, Jason sees Coimbra and says, oh, that's a tracks game. It's a track game. <laughs> <laughs> I'm moving up the tracks. And I will move up the tracks, but I'm going to get cards that on every turn... I'm then drafting other cards that feed these cards that give me actions that move me up the tracks. Even if the cards that I drafted don't move me up the tracks, the engine cards that I have will then move me up the tracks anyway, so I'm still moving up the tracks, but I don't have to draw the cards that move me up the tracks. It's beautiful. It's so, so much tracks. Uh, <laughs> this episode has been brought to you by tracks. But yeah, engine right. building, card synergy. Yeah, I, I like that. I like that one too. Not one of my top five, but I do like it. Uh, the next one I actually just changed because I liked it better than what I had in there. And I think I would rather have this mechanism than what I had in there. And that is push your luck. So I would have a game filled with tracks. And then I would have some push your luck element that's going to let me move up said track. I don't know how. But I love push your luck. We just played a game recently called Cubitos. It's a little like push your luck dice game. And I love it. It's Push your luck is so dumb, but it's so fun. It gives me that feeling like, you know, I never know what's going to happen. And I like that. I like luck in games a little bit. I don't want like, you know, a three hour game that's all luck, but you know, an hour of just pushing my luck and having fun, I'm down. So my next one, push your luck. I mean, I like push your luck, but I think it feeds into like a potential gambling addiction. So it's okay. It's, it's fun. I like games that are push your luck, but I don't always have to have that. Jason does like, he is so into push your luck that if, I actually knew that he was willing to part with real money. I would be concerned that he would lose all her money gambling. <laughs> yeah, there, there's no concern for that. <laughs> no, but he'll never play with actual money, so it's fine. <laughs> um, my second thing that I really love to see in a game, and, and, and in a game that I would ever design, I'd want to have beautiful art and tactile components. So these seem like they're two different things, but they're the physical parts of the game that I care about. Like, I... I hate games with ugly art, which I know, I know we have a lot of ugly games. Those were not my choice. (laughs) I will tell you that. When we go into a game store or when I look at games on Kickstarter, I am immediately drawn to really um, just beautiful artwork. A lot of it happens to be Asian in theme too. Like that's just something that I think is done really well. Like the beauty of the colors and and the make of a lot of Asian themed art. Um, But like there's this game, it's called Princess jing princess jing it the artwork is gorgeous and every single time we go to the board game store i am drawn to that stupid game it looks like a game i would absolutely hate as far as mechanics go ugh. it's way too light it's uh not again no there's no engine building like there's nothing there that i would really like but every single time i pick that stupid game up because it's so beautiful and then in addition to something really pretty to look look at, I also love when games have something to like play with. Um, I love like chunky, thick, you know, meeples like camel up. I love to move those camels as well as using the pyramid to get the dice out. Like that's like a tangible tactile component. Um, I've mentioned there was what game was I talking about where I was just playing around with my pieces and I wasn't even trying to win. Oh, that's like so many games. Like all of them. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Everdell, like the different textures of um, the the different resources, the berries are like kind of squishy. I just and the, the pebbles are so smooth. Um, 
it sounds like I have some kind of sensory issue, but I, I love that in a game because I feel like that's just uh, like a sign of a higher quality. It just goes the extra mile. Um, it can be distracting for me. So with games that have a lot of like fun tactile stuff, um, Katie is not going to win because I'm too busy messing around with the pieces on the board. Um, but I, I just really like to see those in a game. Really beautiful art. Again, this is my dream game. So beautiful art and like good, chunky, like tactile components. You couldn't give a rip about that. Nope. Don't care at all. Could be cubes and stick figures. I don't, yeah, I don't care. <laughs> all right. So the next thing to go along with my tracks and my pusher luck in the game that I am designing right now is tight decisions and actions. So yes, while I just complained about that in Praga, I still like it. I like games where, you know, I... The, the things that I can do, there's never enough time to do what I need to do. And there's never enough actions to take to get all that stuff done. I like that. And that's what would be in my my game. So I would, you have to do push your luck to try to give you extra actions to help you to move up on the tracks. So that's where we are so far in my game. <laughs> it, I, I also like tight decision actions, but I don't like them that much when they don't let me do what I want to do. And so... My third thing that I want to see in a dream game that I would design is multiple unstructured paths to victory. Now, I don't mean, I don't necessarily mean like a sandbox game, because honestly, I haven't played one of those. I feel like I like flipping a flipping a coin and then you win that type of thing. No, because that's only one way to win. You see what I mean? Yeah, I got you. I got you. Uh So like sandbox games is like ultimate free for all. And I probably would like one. I just have never played one because Jason doesn't like that. Um, as he just previously said. But I don't like when there's only one way to win a game. Oh, you have to build up your army like this, and then you have to beat up all the other players. Um, I like it when it's like, oh, well, you could go get in-game points this way. Or you could go get points now by doing these things. Or you could try to set collect these. Or you could go fight these people if you wanted to and get points that way. I love that. Because I don't want you... Or anybody else, really, to be told how to play the game. And and I think, I don't know if part of this comes from the fact that board gaming and gaming in general tends to be a male-dominated um, realm. And I have had men challenge how I play a game because I wasn't playing how they would play. I told you not to tell anybody about this. Ew. I said I was sorry. <laughs> you know better. It wasn't, yeah. <laughs> it was not me, yeah. Um, You're right. It was definitely not me. I don't <laughs> tell anybody how to play the game. <laughs> And I, I end up winning. And that's what kills me. It's like, I know how to play a game. Like, I, I can c- comprehend, oh, this is my goal. And I can analyze and see what's a good way to go about it. Now, my way may not look like your way. But I like when a game allows for me then to play my way. And then we don't have to block people off. Um, that's why I don't like area control is because that's a really limited, in my opinion, way of winning a game. Okay, you just have to expand, conquer the most territory, and hold it. And I, for some reason, I am incapable of playing a game like that. I just can't do it. And so, of course, I don't play it because I can't play it better. And so, <laughs> I'm like, forget this. But that's that's a little too restrictive for me. And I don't even like where games are like, oh, yeah, well, there's lots of different things you can do. But you won't really be able to win if you don't go here and, like, get these cards. Well, then I'm like, well, then you're telling me how to play the game. And that's annoying. That's one thing I do appreciate about Tapestry. Well, Jason loves it for all the tracks. 
I love it that you could go after different kinds of tracks. Um, the first time I played, I was like, okay, I don't know what to do. I'm going to go on this like technology track because it affects other tracks. So eventually we'll just move up on all of them. That's cool. And I just went with that. Uh, I played a different, I played again later. And then I just like, oh, well, I'm going to try to really like cover up my board here. You know, there's just, or I'm really going to go for you know innovation and make all these new inventions. And I like that the idea is I could play a way that interests me, a way that works for me. Um, and I'm still competitive and I don't have to try and do all the same, you know, play your things as you. So yeah, multiple sort of unstructured paths to victory. I don't know a better way to say that. So those games where the only winning condition is crossing the finish line first, you don't love those? Um, only if there's multiple ways for me to get across the finish line. Uh, yeah. I, okay. All right. I was just thinking of Cubitos again and... It's just that one path to one way to win, but there's different dice you can buy. Yes. I like that there are different dice. So I can say, oh, I'm going to try and get all the dice that allow me to move through water because I think that's going to be the most effective. Or I'm going to then like hoard up on as many like credits as I can so that I can go and teleport. Like I like that there's options that way. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. It kind of reminds me like I feel like an ideal game is kind of like an episode of Wacky Racers. Like... (laughs) We're all going to trying to go for the finish line, but you know, some people might fly. Um, some people might try and cheat. Those everyone. Some people might take, you know, Peter Perfect's like drag racer. Some people might be with the Eight Hill Mob in like their, you know, old car. You know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Let's go back to your Pete Best metaphor. Okay. <laughs> no, let's go on to my next one. Uh <laughs> So, to in this push-your-luck game that has tight decisions and lots of tracks, I also want it to be focused solely on mechanisms and no theme at all. So, I basically want this game to be themeless. It can have art, but it doesn't need to have a theme. Or good like, art. It could, <laughs> or good art, yes. It could be trees and dirt as the art. The theme is trees and dirt. Like, the theme is so irrelevant to me. The art is so irrelevant to me. I just want to have fun playing the game. And in order to have fun playing the game, I need to have mechanisms that I enjoy. So mechanisms over theme would be the next one that I would put in my game. And I don't understand how you could possibly have fun playing a game that has no theme. And so if I have a game that has got engine building with some card synergy with this beautiful artwork and these tactile components, and I've got lots of ways to get to my victory points, I want it to have all those mechanics fueled by a theme that everything that I'm doing is making sense with this overarching kind of story um, or event that's being told through the art. Um, And then it makes sense why I'm taking these actions because I'm fulfilling this theme. You're taking the actions because you need to score points. That's the whole point. The theme could be monkeys flying in outer space. It doesn't matter. You have to score points. But if it's monkeys flying in outer space, I know I want to play cards to get me more bananas because monkeys want bananas. And then somehow I'm going to turn the bananas into space fuel. So then that would make sense of why I'd want to take those actions because it fuels the narrative that goes with the theme. No, you take the actions because you need to go to space A to convert those things into things you need for space B to turn space B into C, which gives you points. Then you might as well play abstract games like flipping Othello for the rest of your life. No, because those aren't fun. Exactly, because they don't have a theme. 
No, it's because the mechanisms are jump over a thing and flip a circle. That's not fun. <laughs> <laughs> alive things make games come alive so any kind of mechanism no matter what it is i want to have it fueled by theme and i think um some of my favorite games are where where theme and the actions you take are really linked closely together um because there's something just really beautiful when those spots hit i love it you're wrong uh agree to disagree when in rome (laughs) um i don't think that means what you think it means (laughs) My last one is one that I probably, of all these, this is probably the one that I would make sure if I was designing a game that it would be in there. (laughs) So I put multiplayer solitaire, which in my opinion (laughs) means I'm doing my thing, you're doing your thing, leave me alone. You don't play a card to affect me. You don't get to steal my cards. You don't get to steal my resources. You can go to the spot that I want to go to, but that's where it ends. So I do my thing, you're trying to do your thing better than me. So we're all, in essence, playing our own game on a shared board. That is how a game should be played. I don't need to be spending 30 minutes building up this thing for you to come play this stupid card that takes half my stuff. No, that does not fly here. I'm going to play my solitaire game, you play your solitaire game. I'll see you at the end. So my last one, multiplayer solitaire. Then just play actual solitaire. Because I think a game isn't good, and my last thing that I would want in my dream game is there has to be some kind of player interaction. Now there is. I, I had player interaction. You're blocking my space. I'm surprised you don't want. You don't even. You're okay with allowing that. Like, why aren't all spaces free spaces? Well, because that takes away the whole like essence of a worker placement game. Like, oh, and turn order. So then there turn should order should be players. No working. turn order. Turn order should have a benefit. So if you're first in, in player order, then you should get the benefit of going where you want to go. Outside of that, that's where the interaction stops. I like player interaction. I'm not saying I want a. I don't like take that, which I think is a very narrow look at player interaction. Um, but I love, I like cooperative games and I like semi-cooperative games. I probably like semi-cooperative games more than cooperative because I still like to win and I don't really want to share that winning with other people. Um, But (laughs) I love when we're able to like maybe build something together or trade cards freely or maybe we do have like, oh, a friendly rivalry where we're going to trade, you know, cards and maybe take a resource or two. Like, I mean, I think a well-designed game is shouldn't have a card that's going to let me completely take away everything that you've worked all game for. Like, I think that's just poor design. I'm not even talking about everything. I'm talking about any of it. Like, any of it. Even one little thing. That's enough. I think one little thing is okay. Because I, I, I feel like that's life. And, and if you want to choose to go that way, okay, and that benefits you, then maybe I'm going to play a different card and it's going to take something different away. Like, as long as there's equal opportunity for that kind of thing to happen, I really like when there's player interaction. It makes it more fun because we're playing the game together. Even if it's not cooperative, like the fact that your what you're doing is overlapping with what I'm doing and we're, you know, talking or having a little like feud or whatever, I think that makes a playing experience even better. So there needs to be player interaction for sure. So my ideal game is a game. It's an engine builder that has card synergy. Um, those cards are beautiful art. In addition to that, those cards are some tactile components on this board. Um, 
where I'm trying to get victory points, but there are diff- a lot of different ways I can do that. And it's all bound to by one really cool theme that makes sense for the actions I'm taking that work with that theme and tell that story while I'm interacting with the people I'm playing with. That is my dream game. So while Kitty's playing her terrible game, I'll be playing <laughs> a game that has so many tracks that has tight decisions where you can do some push your luck to give you better decisions to on be able tracks. to be made on the tracks that has so such deep mechanisms that makes the theme irrelevant because the mechanisms are so good and where I can do my own thing. And no matter what you do, except going to a space, you can't affect me. That's the dream game. That's the game I want to play right now, right there. So what about you? If you designed a dream game, what would have to be a part of it? If your name is Sinky Tim, Cthulhu has to be a part of it. If your name is Dan, there can be no pusher luck because you apparently don't know how to play when there's randomization. If your name is... <laughs> that game sucks. That game, all games suck. Um, maybe if your name... If you're colorblind, if your name is Jonathan, you need to have symbols that tell you which factions are which, not based on color. You know, what kind of things are really important to you? Do you like to see dice? Do you like tracks? Um, do you like games that are sandbox games? Do you like tight decisions or do you like open decisions? I know some people like games where they can freely chat and just play or they want their games to have like a, an overarching story that's being told or that involve acting or that involve, you know, 10 people or that involve only two people. So tell us, what does your dream game have? Um, go to our Facebook page. If you're not part of our hashtag, the riveted group, you need to be in there. All the best people are. Okay. All the pretty okay people are. And we talk about games and that's where we're at. Um, our Instagram, our Twitter, and definitely, definitely check out our YouTube page. Um, we're putting up videos and stuff all the time. I still, I probably need to start a video series, but in my mind, what I want to do is like, I think too relaxed (laughs) for what Jason normally does on videos. And so I don't know. I don't know if it'll work. I'm still thinking about it, but there's always new content going up there and new reviews and stuff. Um, we probably should do some more like live plays or something, but we, we definitely want to hear from you on any of our social media accounts. So tell us about the design that would go into your dream game. Oh, I got one more that Ooh. I just need to mention. Oh, yeah? So far away from co-op that I can't even see co-op or spell co-op. It needs to be competitive all day. I hate co-op. Okay, but that's what you don't want in your dream game. That's like not what you want. Yeah, I want a competitive, I want a competitive game. But I don't know how to say, like, I want the furthest thing from space possible. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like beautiful art kind of sums it up. Yeah, I was going to say, I think you said that already. <laughs> I don't want a bunch of thin, crappy, ugly cardboard space stuff. Yep, that's pretty much it. Post-apocalyptic zombie. Blech. That's what I don't want. Things I absolutely never want to see in a game. That's That'll be like next week episode or something. <laughs> Oh, it's just my list. My <laughs> list plus some, like, space on the outskirts. <laughs> yeah. I'm okay with tight decisions and tracks. I just don't have to have them. I'm okay with Busher Luck, too, but I don't have to have it. All right. Sun's getting low. I mean, the sun's been low. I know. I'm just, I mean, per, my, my <laughs> proverbial sun's getting low. <laughs> I'm, I'm done. Put a fork in this podcast. It's done. Yep. I mean, it's been done for about an hour. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> if you hung in here, good for you. Maybe we've put you to sleep by now. <laughs> Hopefully not the wheel of your vehicle. Yep, not liable. Yeah, we need a disclaimer or something. <laughs> if we bore you to tears and you crash your car, not our fault. Not tears, bore you to sleep, put you to sleep. You're so bored that you're crying and then you fall asleep. <laughs> you're like <laughs> batting a thousand with your analogies. Like, wow. Yeah, they're rough today. They're rough. Oh, boy. I've been Katie. <laughs> and I'm Jason. Keep gaming, everybody. Keep gaming. Keep gaming.